0: From
1: Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Democrat Daniel Bitts, Republican Jillian Bernitz, Libertarian Eric Cohn, and Independent Jason Spires. Our program tonight, comes to you upon our own base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, the Paul and Angel Harvey Studio on State Street at Great Street in Chicago. Toll lines open 1-800-723-80289. That's 1-800-723-80289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's beyondthebeltway2019 at gmail.com. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo at D-U-M-O. You can join us on the World Wide Web at BeyondTheBeltway.com. Not only this program, but also future programs and past programs. And, of course, we are also live on the Beyond the Beltway Facebook page, and we are live on YouTube around the world. So it's nice to have you with us. We have another full hour, two hours of conversation this evening. We've got some new guests. Uh, to share uh, with you and uh, we're going to begin with uh, one of the uh, big story. We're going to get to the the issue of tariffs and the and the trade deal a little bit later on but uh, something we have talked about periodically on this program is whether or not Donald Trump should have a Republican primary opponent. And a couple of months ago we talked about when William Weld, the former uh, governor of uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts threw his hat into the ring uh, challenging uh, Donald Trump. We, we talked a little bit more about it that night But now it's getting a lot more coverage because Joe Walsh, who's a fellow talk show host here in Chicago, he's on AM560, The Answer, which is where this program airs uh, every Sunday night. Uh, he announced that, uh, he's a former, former member of Congress as well, he announced that he is going to challenge the President of the United States, and he didn't uh, he didn't do it in any small way, he didn't get a small group of people with balloons that went up uh, in front of the TV cameras. Uh, he did it on national television this morning with George Stephanopoulos, and here's how it went.
2: I'm gonna run for President, and, and I'm happy to be on your show announcing my candidacy. George, no surprise, we've got a guy in the White House who's unfit, completely unfit uh, to be president. And it stuns me that nobody stepped up, nobody in the Republican Party stepped up, because I'll tell you what, George, everybody believes in the Republican Party, everybody believes that he's unfit. He lies every time he opens his mouth. All right. Jillian Burness, you're our only
1: card-carrying Republican this evening, so uh, if we're getting response from around the country, 1-800-723-8289 is the number. Let me ask you, do you believe that Donald Trump is unfit to be president?
3: Well, um, I, like um, any other candidate who's looking to consider running for office, you're going to weigh a couple different things when you're looking at a race and whether you should get into a race or not. I ran for state representative, and so I looked Mm. at... Um, where are the numbers, what are the numbers telling us, Uh, what uh, is my path to victory. And so right now I know that Joe Walsh announced and and claimed the president is unfit to serve, but I'm not quite certain why he's entering the race. I don't know what the path to victory is. He might have numbers that I am not privy to and I don't know about. Let me go back to my
1: original question. mm -hmm. Do you think the president is unfit?
3: I do not, I look at what's happening in our country and I think that there's a lot of strong things happening that are happening because of the policies that this administration and president have put into place. We have the lowest unemployment uh, across sectors. So we're not just favoring certain people over others, it's across sectors. We have a strong growing economy. GDP is growing beyond what previous administrations have seen. We see um, him uh, looking for um, Reforms in the criminal justice system. We see him pushing forward um, economic uh, empowerment zones or opportunity zones. So we see these things that people want, that people are enjoying. We're seeing wages increase. That's what's affecting the the middle class families in our okay, country. Okay, so you, and that's dis- why you disagree
1: with Joe Walton on his basic premise. Now, Eric Cohn, you're you're probably the second closest thing to a Republican. Uh, you are a libertarian. You're not a Republican. Correct. But do you think the president is unfit to be president?
4: Yes, I think he's unfit. Um, Why? I, he, Joe Walsh is not <clears throat> wrong about the fact that he is a compulsive liar. Um, it, I don't think his the way he comports himself, the rhetoric, the tweets, I don't think any of that is kind of the behavior uh, becoming of a president of the United States. What Jillian said in terms of the kind of policy grab bag that has come from the trump administration you know as a libertarian some has been good some has been bad you know the, the efforts on criminal justice reform are great the tariffs are terrible um but you know the question of i think it's healthy that there's a challenge that republican voters will have a choice um but i don't think that this is necessarily the best choice that they could possibly have between joe walsh uh former governor weld who i do have some respect for and donald trump it's not like this is post watergate it's not like there's this an unpopular president i don't know where this is going i don't think it's going anywhere
1: okay. I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna let me let me mm-hmm. check with the other side of the table uh, jason spires you are an independent uh, do you think the president is unfit to lead
5: i think the president has taken a unique approach and i think what he's doing isn't helping america and I believe we need to go back to having sane policies instead of just trying to be obscene to get attention. Sane decided by you. Decided by me. Because okay. this is my opinion. I'm speaking on my okay, behalf. Okay, okay. and when you have a president who says things like, I hereby order companies such as Amazon, etc., to not looking to China to do business with him, there's times where I wonder if he even understands what his actual role is as president and what his actual powers are. And then he'll cite things like the bill from 1978 saying he has this authority underneath the National Security Act. And it's like, we only use that when people were doing deals with criminals. We didn't use that on police people like Amazon and Walmart. Okay. All right.
1: Now, Daniel Biss is our card-carrying Democrat. I think I know your answer, Daniel. <laughs> but... Uh, to what degree do you think he's he's unfit? He's completely unfit. I mean,
6: what we've known for a long time is that he's, as was already said several times, a liar, a racist, a xenophobe. We're learning now that he's also uh, trafficking in anti-Semitic tropes. Additionally, he sought to obstruct justice. That's, in my view, an impeachable offense. And his conduct on international relations and domestic relations have been on a great day erratic and on most days incredibly dangerous to the country. Of course he's not fit for office. I do think the question of what this primary really means is still an open question. He's uh, unfortunately very popular still according to the polls with most of the Republican Mm -hmm. electorate. The Republican elected officials who Joe Walsh mentioned in that clip, who may know in their heart of hearts how dangerous Donald Trump is to this Mm -hmm. country,
1: have all been too fearful of their own voting base to actually tell the truth. What does that say about them? I mean, Joe didn't come right out and say it, but basically he said a number of times there are many Republicans who who are not brave enough to step up and say what he said. What does that say about those people? I mean, you, you, I would you, say you this. come from a political life, yeah. and by the way, we should mention for those around the country, uh, you were a state senator in Illinois. You stepped up and you decided to challenge one of the wealthiest men in the United States mm-hmm. for the governorship of Illinois. You were unsuccessful. But you know something about stepping out from the crowd. I want to talk more about that when we come back. We're going for a break right now. 1-800-723-8289. You know where the four guests this evening stand on the candidacy of Joe Walsh and specifically on whether President Trump is unfit for office. What's your response? 1-800-723-8289. Your calls when we
7: return.
8: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
9: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
0: America's veterans are on their most important tour the tour of their lives.
10: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
0: At DAV,
11: We
0: all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
1: From Sacramento, California to Springfield, Illinois, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway or watching it on YouTube this evening. And uh, we've got a lot of callers on the line, so let's go to them right away, and then we'll get back to our conversation. Let's go to Paul. He's calling from Caseyville, Illinois. Go ahead. You're
12: on the air, Paul. Hi. I'll always listen to your show. Great show. Tune in every week. Uh, I got a question for Jackson. I actually met him at the Illinois Tech Convention for the Libertarian Party. to listen to his story. Yeah. Uh, I read a story today in St. Louis about a man who shot a guy, killed him in a bar, a very crowded bar in St. Louis, and he got convicted today for only four years. Now, you have Jason who was convicted of a nonviolent crime and sentenced to 30 years in jail. Now, I looked up the individual cost of housing a person for a year in jail runs between twenty dollars and $40,000. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to understand how the cost analysis with the criminal reform system has taken this into account of the situation. So I wonder if Jason or the other attorney after listening to their views on criminal reform and justice and their, in the judgment of the mm. drug system and how they want to fight the drug war, how they could help. That okay, really
1: hang on, just, Paul, stay on the line, by the way. Let me just parenthetically say that for those who are hearing Jason for the very first time, he was on this program about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, uh, he served 14 years in, in state prison for drug possession. And uh, the inspiring part of that story is that he was able to go from there uh, to Stanford University. He now has a couple of semesters under his belt at Stanford. So he's back in town because he's from this area. So that's why he's back on the show. We're going to do a little update report a little bit later on in the broadcast. But let me ask the question about criminal justice reform because you, you know it from both sides now. Yes, I do. What does the president, getting back to the president, Does the president get some credit for sort of taking the lead in criminal justice reform, something that Republicans have not traditionally done?
5: Oh, definitely. Uh, Outside of Rand Paul, the Republican Party wasn't really screaming about criminal justice reform on a loud level until Trump came in and got in the office. And then they passed the First Step Act. Uh, And that was a major step in the right direction. Underneath Barack Obama, we took the cocaine uh, disparity from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. Mm -hmm. But President uh, Trump actually made it where we have a lot of people now going back and getting their sentences changed because they're out of whack. Mm -hmm. So, yes, President Trump deserves credit on criminal justice reform.
1: Uh, Senator, do you agree with that? Uh, Begrudgingly, does he get
6: some credit for this? I think it's the best thing that's happened uh, in his presidency. I think that there has been talk for a long time because of exactly what the caller mentioned, because of the incredible cost of our criminal justice system from the kind of fiscally conservative budget hawk right that Republicans should get on board of a program of criminal justice reform. And this is really, on the federal level, the first indication that there is some real opportunity there. And I think it's a, a small step in the right direction.
1: Jillian, what's your what's your take? You, you referenced it in your opening comment. But again, to, to, to what extent is that one of the major issues that you uh, salute the president on?
3: Um, definitely. And I also think there's a lot of hypocrisy that I hear often. I heard on one side that the president's a liar. Um, I quite frankly have heard lots of presidents saying things one way and then changing the way they said things. I think there was um, uh, Joe Biden right now who's running, who was a very strong supporter of the crime reforms that went into place during Clinton's administration that have impacted people uh, now, even till today. And so, and then I hear racism and uh, I I guess I'm taking this from um, Tim Scott in South Carolina. Is like, how can you be a racist if you're supporting sickle cell research, if you're increasing or uh, lowering unemployment rates for African-Americans, and if you're working on economic opportunity zones? And so I think that there are good things that the the administration's doing. And there's a lot of, um, I guess, media that's just repeating over and over again these same rhetorical things, he's a liar, he's a racist. And I look at the policies, and I'm not seeing that necessarily. Eric, uh,
1: do you think the president is a racist?
4: I have no idea what's in his heart. I hear what comes out of his mouth, and I think it reflects kind of a, my understanding of kind of 1970s New York way of, uh, of interpreting the world. Um, so it's, it. I, I think a lot of it is disappointing, and a lot of it is disappointing for me to hear coming from the President of the United States. But I want to come back to a point about uh, what the caller had said about what's going on in, in St. Louis and vis-a-vis uh, Jason's story as well. Um, I think more people should pay attention to the uh, city and county of St. Louis in terms of the crime problems there and the how screwed up the criminal justice system is there. If you go back to the Ferguson shooting of Michael Brown, one of the main reasons that nobody trusted when they came out and said that it was, you know, a justifiable shooting, disagree on that if you wish, but that uh, there's just no trust between the police and the community out there, which makes policing incredibly difficult. A lot of it is fueled by the uh, way that citizens are treated, that they are treated essentially like ATMs for small municipalities in St. Louis County that can't possibly fund themselves. If there's a place for somebody to point the bright light for criminal justice reform, it is really St. Louis County and there should be more attention paid to that.
5: Well, one thing I would like to add to that is the question is, is he a racist? One of the things that I always think about is when they try to say he's a sexist, he was one of the ones in New York that were putting women in power player positions in the construction industry when other people wouldn't do it or be as proud about it. But that doesn't mean that you're not dog whistling or tuning into people's things that they won't say themselves. And I don't think he goes out of his way mm-hmm. to tell a racist, don't vote for me. So Jim, John McCain took a minute in 2008 mm-hmm. against Barack Obama. Yeah. When yeah. a lady got on the, on the mic and said, right. he's a Muslim. I'm afraid. He said, no, ma'am. He is a good American citizen, he loves his family, he just has different ideas. Donald Trump is not doing that. So just as a prelude to my comment,
6: I think, in my opinion, it's very obvious that he's a racist from the way he behaved with the Central Park Five, to the trouble he got into for his housing practices in New York in the 70s, to birtherism, which is a racist conspiracy theory against Barack Obama, to the way he talks about uh, women of color in Congress, to the word he used that we maybe can't even use on your show to describe certain countries that happen to be populated by people right. of color. But But I also think, notwithstanding my own view about that, I get why there might be some haggling about what is, de- uh, what is the definition of a racist and is it constructive, to use that word. So, so to put that aside, I think the question about whether he lies, that's not a subjective question. And, and I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm not a defender of your typical politician, and politicians change positions from time to time, sometimes justifiably and sometimes cynically. I get the, your point. But if you just look at the number of demonstrably false statements that this president makes per minute of a typical speech compared to any other person in high office in America, Republican or Democrat. There is no comparison. His level of interest in and respect for verifiable facts is just not there. That's
1: dangerous. Why do you think there's such a large percentage of Republican elected officials, which is what we were talking about Mm -hmm. in the last segment, that that don't want to stand up and challenge him like, like Joe Walsh says he wants to challenge? Well, you know, Joe Walsh is a former elected. Yes.
6: official. He doesn't have to stand up no. for his own he's constituency a fu- to get he's a talk show, He can say anything he wants. And so, I think every elected official, and I've I've experienced this, and I'm sure you experienced it as a candidate, and everybody else in a democracy experiences this: that you have to uh, advance your own worldview and also have some uh, sensitivity to what the voters in your constituency are asking for. And. I think that balancing act is one of the fundamental challenges in a democracy. But to me, the line that you should never cross is you should never, in order to get reelected, say something that's damaging to the country or fail to stand up for something that the country needs stood up for. And I think for these Republicans in office who will quietly and privately admit that Donald Trump is a danger to the country, to then, for political reasons, not say it into a microphone, I think that's crossing well, a line. It, uh, it uh, uh,
1: Jillian, within your sphere of close friends... Are there any people who think, as as Dan just articulated, you're at a cocktail party, you're out to dinner, the subject of politics comes up, and even though they may be Republicans, they will articulate some of the, uh, the litany of, of, of issues that he has just raised.
3: Well, I think it's come down to, uh, we're in an environment that's really unfortunate because there's no political discourse like we're having right now here in the street or at cocktail parties or at dinner parties because the instant you talk about, oh, maybe this policy is a good thing for our country, you get jumped on instantaneously by someone on the Democrat side who says, well, you're xenophobic, you're racist for doing that. So no one wants to say anything because the minute you say something, they're gonna jump on you and criticize you. There's people who are being um, kind of, violence is being, Done on them for wearing um, Trump shirts, for wearing Trump yeah. hats, and things like that. And so, it's 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 kind of hard to have that conversation when you get that type of reaction. Um, and it's it's really unfortunate.
1: Erica, I just 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 speak to the to the issue that, that she just referenced. Is that and again, you 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 travel in political circles as well, and most of them may agree with you. But again, where do they come down, and they're libertarians, mm-hmm. where do they come down that, a, that a, uh, a young person, it doesn't even have to be a young person, that if they're living, let's say, in Cook County, Illinois, which is where this program originates from, you would not, most people, would not walk down the street of Chicago wearing a MAGA hat. They would be either afraid to do it, because of some physical confrontation, or they don't want to get engaged in a heated conversation, which those mega hats sometimes entail.
4: I I mean, I think that's true. I think we have a kind of... We do have a lack of civilized political discourse going on right now. We have a lot of people screaming at each other and talking past each other rather than talking to each other by anything. The name-calling from the left and the right I don't think helps circumstances. But there are... I, I talk to people that I hear that they... I hear this frequently, the kind of soft suburban Republican voter, the kind of person who thinks that, you know, like, I like the judicial appointments, or I like some of the economic policy of the tax cut, I don't like his rhetoric, I don't like the tweets, they're a possible persuadable voter in this upcoming presidential election. The question that I have is, are Democrats going to do anything to reach out to them, to the Rust Belt voter that voted for Obama and then switched to Trump, what are Democrats going to do to reach out to those people?
1: We're going to find that out from Daniel Biss when we come back, 1-800-723-8029. More calls on the line will bring them into the conversation as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. From coast to coast and border to border, this is Beyond
11: the Gulf Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency.
1: From Minneapolis, Minnesota to La Crosse, Wisconsin, you just saw a little bit of that if uh, uh, you're listening and watching us on YouTube. Uh, we have been adding, uh, when we go to breaks, we've been adding video uh, from uh, the affiliate markets, including those listening to us on Sirius XM Radio, which is from all over the country. So uh, uh, those are some of the beautiful pictures of uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, which you just saw. Uh, let us now introduce our, once I put my glasses on and I can see what I'm doing, uh, let us let each of our guests introduce themselves and We're gonna start with uh, Jillian Burnus.
3: Perfect, I'm Jillian Burnis, like Bruce said. I'm an international relations manager for a large medical association. And I'm also pretty civically engaged in my community. I serve on uh, the, the um, public library's board of trustees in my community. I also teach English as the second language at my local community church. And um, I just enjoy um, being part of the political conversation. I'm really thankful to be on today.
1: If we walked down the, the suburban streets uh, neighborhood where you live uh, and you ran into your friends who are, let's say, known, a lot of known Republicans and Democrats, would most of them say they like President Trump? or would they be from the Joe Walsh camp, Uh, maybe not his camp particularly, but they don't like the president?
3: I think that you'll find a lot of people that don't like the president, but they do like what uh, policies are coming out of his administration.
1: Okay, so as long as the the money is rolling in to their 401ks, they'll probably be along for the ride.
3: Yeah, he's really helped middle class uh, workers in our community and families, and so they are seeing the benefits of that.
1: And when we read stories about the health issues of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, does that raise the opinion of the president higher in the stakes of some of those people?
3: Um, I don't don't know. I I know for, for now she continues to be on the Supreme Court. Um, I know a lot of people when David Koch passed away, they were really mean about it, and um, really were talking bad about him. I'd hope that no one does that um, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the important um, intervention she went through recently. So that was um, we want we're praying for her, we want her to get better. Um, but I, I don 't know if we want to go there yet. I think that <laughs> they were happy with the two mm. Supreme Court appointees so far, okay. um, and people are pretty pretty pleased with that. Okay.
1: Daniel Biss, tell us who you are.
6: Uh, my name's Daniel Biss, I live in the suburbs of Chicago, used to be a math professor, taught at the University of Chicago, had a kind of a premature midlife crisis, and uh, went into politics, spent eight years in the Illinois legislature, two years in the House, and six years in the Senate, ran for governor in the Democratic primary in 2018, I did not come in first, and left uh, public office uh, shortly thereafter. And now I'm a senior fellow at Americans for Financial Reform working on Wall Street accountability and particularly on Kind of predatory behavior in the private equity sector
1: and where are they based tell us more about that organization
6: uh they're based out of washington dc uh they do primarily advocacy uh, really in congress Mm -hmm. they were created Mm -hmm. during the time in the crash that the dodd frank bill passed and the consumer financial protection bureau was created
1: and they've been engaged in a lot of wall street accountability issues ever since uh the race for governor in illinois and the democratic side got personal uh, with you and and the governor uh, at least that's my perception. got intense more, maybe I would more, say. More so than the other candidates. Uh, would you like to run for something else in Illinois?
6: I don't know. Uh, I could envision doing it. I could also envision uh, contributing and serving in other ways. We had a heated primary. I think we had an important uh, debate about the future of the Democratic Party. Right. I also enthusiastically supported him in the general election and mm-hmm. much more importantly than any of that, I think he's doing a good job. I think the people Mm. of Illinois are
4: lucky to have J.B. Pritzker as their governor right now. Okay. Eric Cohn, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, My name's Eric Cohn. I come from downstate Illinois. Uh, My day job's in marketing. Um, I'm also the co-host of Sources with Knowledge on AM560, The Answer, on weekends, uh, Sunday at 3 p.m. for anybody in the Chicagoland area or anyone with an internet connection who would like to tune into that program. And uh, politically, what have you been involved in the past? I've run campaigns in the past here in uh, in the Chicago land area. Um, I've been involved on the nonprofit side as well. Always been political and civically active, um, mostly on libertarian causes. One of the giants of
1: American politics died this week. You wanted to make some comments about him?
4: Yeah, I think um, David Koch, who passed away this week, uh, one of the two Koch brothers. Um, I is. He's been termed by some of the media as a polarizing figure. I don't see that necessarily as being true. Um, I Certainly, there's plenty of controversy around the Koch brothers that I don't always think is warranted. I think his life as a philanthropist deserves um, recognition. The, uh, Jillian had mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg being treated for cancer. The cancer ward that she was treated in was almost completely funded alone by David Koch. Uh, he's given millions and millions of dollars to the arts, where the uh, ballet is performed in New York City, the theater bears his name. Um, he's been an incredible philanthropist. He believes in certain ideals, libertarian ideals, that I also agree with. He was for gay marriage and drug legalization long before anybody in either the Democrat or Republican parties were, uh, and I think um, he deserves recognition for his contributions in that in that area. He
10: was
1: also uh, part of the bipartisan efforts uh, for not only with his brother and the Koch Foundation, but also uh, working with the ACLU and left of center organizations in by being uh, the prime funders. Of uh, the criminal justice reform uh, that really was it was a unique experience. You looked you looked at the people that were supporting this, and you said, "Oh my God, how how did this thing get put together?" Well, David Koch was part of that, as well as the ACLU and, and others, and it, and it led to the criminal justice And the Koch report. brothers,
4: um, uh, well, now just Charles, uh, were also working with George Soros and a new nonprofit um, on a saner, less interventionist foreign policy for the United States. So they were always willing to build bridges across to the other well, side of the intellectual divide I'd, like, divide. I'd
1: like to be in on that conversation. Wouldn't that be great? We'll invite him here some night. Big just, sp- the, just the two of them. Big supporter okay. of liberty. And yes. uh, tell us about uh, you, uh, yourself, Mr. My name is Jason Spires.
5: Spires. As a teenager, I was arrested because my mother sent me some cannabis from California to my house in Illinois, so I got arrested for two counts of cannabis trafficking. I was given a 30-year sentence in the Illinois Department of Corrections, along with over $200,000 in fines. While in prison, I started not noticing criminal justice reforms that could be implemented to make a better system. Uh, I wrote every single elected state senator, every single elected state rep, including Mr. Biss, but, uh, and was able to actually, now that many of the reforms they've done is modeled things that I was published in the papers saying that we should have done. And then I got to a work... I lease. want to stop you for a second. Why did your mother send you cannabis in the mail? Uh, she was a meth addict, and I asked her to. I was a drug dealer at that time and I was selling cannabis and I asked her to do so. I take full accountability for what I did. It was Did you
1: bond with her again? Yeah, actually we were getting ready to go to Athens on Tuesday.
5: You you, uh, forgave her? Uh, Yeah, because uh, in many ways I feel guilty for involving her in my thing. She was a drug addict, I was a drug dealer. I should have probably not included family members in my activities.
1: There are many people in the Trump base. That don't understand why Donald Trump is investing so much political capital or the political capital that he invested appears for the most part to be not necessarily his constituency Mm -hmm. and it flies in the face of maybe his core constituency which may be more tough law and order maybe police Mm -hmm. prosecutors Uh, how do you explain to them what might be going through Donald Trump's head.
5: Oh, I believe Donald Trump is a people person. I believe he reads the energy of the room, and he looks at what he can do that's feasible and still keep his core voting for him, but possibly still reach out to some other people. And criminal justice reform is to the point where you had the Koch brothers supporting it. You had Rand Paul in his ear talking about it Mm -hmm. constantly, because Rand Paul ran his presidential campaign on criminal justice reform yes,
7: issues. did. not go very and, far.
5: And you've seen Donald Trump calling him a weasel-like haircut guy, and then now they're buddies, and Rand Paul's becoming an advisor to him. So I think mm. Donald Trump sees a section of people that he can get to vote for him without losing his base, and he passed the One-Step Act, and you don't see a lot of his supporters disowning him because of it. So he was able to get something good done on the criminal justice reform no. while not pissing off his base. Okay. All right.
4: I, I think that's... I think that's a good point. And yes, he has uh, certainly done that on criminal justice reform. But I think we've also seen out there from a lot of Republicans a willingness to recalibrate their positions, even past ones previously held, to whatever Donald Trump is saying at the time, I think we see this a lot with things like tariffs, free trade, um, support for uh, more free market policies and free trade policies have been baked into the Republican cake for a long time. Donald Trump comes in, he's always had strong views like this on trade, changes, uh, you know, he's a different candidate, he has a different point of view than GOP candidates have in the past, and the GOP base has largely recalibrated themselves to agree with him. So on areas where I agree, criminal justice reform policy, I think that's a great one. And I, I'm glad to see what's happened there. But I think it's also that kind of directional thing is concerning to me.
5: Well, and I'm going to say this. The criminal justice reform, when they passed the One-Step Act, was not a dangerous issue. There might have been people in his party that opposed it, but no one was like, oh, don't do this. We already had our foot t- tipped in the uh, Tom water. Tom Cotton very much Tom, was in Cotton, favor yeah. of not doing it. Okay, sure. but I'm saying and the Attorney General. At the but time. I'm saying the electorate. Wasn't you don't see people yelling and rallying against what's going on? No, I I agree with you that. Know, and I think politicians often trail. And, 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 and also, when Barack Obama uh. changed the crack cocaine uh, discrepancy from 101 to 18 to one, there wasn't a big backlash. Barack Obama let thousands of people out of prison. He pardoned 43 people and commuted her sentence, I believe.
6: That sounds possible. Yeah, tonight.
5: and you don't see people rallying against him for it. So Trump was made a political. Uh, decision and
1: Come, said, you yeah. know what? I think I can do this. Gillian, uh, uh, on that subject, um, are the Repu- because of the criminal justice reform, are the Republicans making a mistake? Maybe, by, maybe by not trying to reach out uh, to those who might be pleased with this policy. I mean, it's many, it's many African-Americans, it's not exclusively African-Americans, but a large portion of the prison population are African-Americans. Some of those that have gotten out early are African-Americans. Is it a mistake for the Republicans not to be aggressively going after, uh, let's say, the ex-offender community, because it's a a large community?
3: Um, I'm not certain that they're not. Extending an olive branch and looking to incorporate people and bring them in under the party umbrella um, I don't know that um, I'm not certain what you, you're looking for them to necessarily do as far as but Well, I, I
1: mean for instance voting. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know
7: Voting as far as bringing either polling. either
1: either voting for ex-offenders, which is controversial to some or letting those that are, are Still in prison vote. Those are, you know, Bernie Sanders has come down with a position on that. But we'll come back and that. I want to talk about that and a few other things. More calls when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us.
13: Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater, Do not miss it.
10: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov.
7: Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense.
14: Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves
7: and helping each other. With friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger.
14: For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders. For you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP.
7: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
1: They're listening at KTSM in uh, El Paso, Texas tonight, so looking for calls from them. Let's go to Tom, listening to us on WPIC in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Tom.
15: Yes. You know, I, I want to go back to the whole situation of uh, Trump and uh, being a liar and so forth. Uh, well, what about uh, Obama and his, if you want your doctor, you can keep your doctor? What about uh, Johnson with the Gulf of Tonkin incident? What about uh, uh, George W. Bush with the uh, Iraqi uh, weapons, mass destruction? And, and the concept of Trump's interest in the verifiable fact is just not there. I can say the same thing about the mainstream media, the news media, liberty, liberal university uh, instructors, Hollywood, uh, the, most of the Democrats, and half of the uh, Republicans, the Rhinos, and the uh, Never Trumpers. Now, we're in the middle of a civil war in this country. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but we are. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural war and it's an economic war. And in the last election, we almost lost the war. And it's defined, by the way, between capitalism and socialism, and the choice between conservatism or liberalism, and the choice between nationalism and globalism. And we almost lost that war. And I'd rather have a George Patton or a William Tecumseh Sherman acting as president and leading that war then a Jimmy Carter who was totally ineffective, but gee, he was sure a moral guy. And quite frankly, I like to have Jimmy Carter as a, as a neighbor. I voted for him twice, but in hindsight, he was totally ineffective. All
1: right, let's let Daniel best respond. Well, I sure hope we don't have a civil war. I do worry
6: sometimes that the president would like to undo the outcome of the real civil war that we had. But you know, you, there was a lot in in that comment that you you made, Tom, and I, I don't want to you know, get into a back and forth point by point. But I accept your basic point that every person who's ever held elective office, probably every human being who's ever lived on this earth, has changed their mind, has said things that turned out not to be true, has even promised things they were eventually unable to deliver. That's been true of presidents and everybody else from both parties. But this president, if you just go through the an hour of his speeches and find that he makes in the course of an hour on average, seven, eight, nine verifiably false statements. Barack Obama didn't do that, and listen, I was no fan of George W. Bush, but he didn't do that either. There's a different level of disconnection from the truth here What's that I the think biggest is very told? Well, I mean, I don't even know where to start. If you look at policy, how about the way in which he talks about the wall that was the centerpiece of his campaign? How about his promise to preserve Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, which he's then tried to reverse himself on every step of the way? How about his promise to make people like him pay more which is the opposite of what he did, his promise to get rid of the carried interest tax loophole, those are just specific promises he made that turned out to be the exact opposite of the policy he tried to advance. But there's also smaller things, like, for example, he continually takes credit for a particular piece of legislation that helps veterans that Barack Obama signed into law in 2014. He can't get his basic facts right if they don't agree with the political narrative he's
1: trying to sell. Let's go to Mark in Chicago, listening to us on 1590, our flagship station. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, um, I'd just like to make the point that everybody on CNN and MSNBC accuses him of racism, 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 New York Times, Washington Post. But to me, he only attacks individuals that he disagrees with, that have, that have attacked him first. I've never seen him attack a group of people which, to me, is the true definition of a racist. I just
15: wondered
4: what you think about that. Right, I'll let Eric respond to that. I mean, yes, he does. Certainly, uh, we get this a lot. He fights. He punches back. I go back to the question again of character that's becoming a. a President of the United States and the ability to comport oneself in a way that I think is becoming of a president of the United States. I don't think that's the definition of all of that, and I don't think it's surprising that there are people out there who want and expect better. Now, look, as a libertarian, I feel kind of, I feel predisposed generally to dislike the president of the United States, whether they're Republican or a Democrat. It's you know, a, a nice kind of niche to be in. So a lot of people freaking out about Donald Trump is just kind of like, well, yeah, I'm always kind of predisposed to dislike uh, the president of the United States. I want to make a point from the previous caller, though, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, this battle between conservatism and liberalism, President Trump, as Jason had pointed out earlier, tweeting out basically that you know, he hereby orders or whatever it was that companies can uh, should yep. be pulling out of China, is the kind of thing that if Barack Obama had done, the, the, I assume people on the right would be losing their minds about. Things like free trade uh, I've talked about before that was baked into conservatism previously no. is now something that's being rejected. So I think all this, the idea that there's these clearly delineated lines that we're fighting over, ideological lines we're fighting over, I don't think is true. I think Trumpism should be understood as a psychological phenomenon and not an ideological I, one. We
5: shouldn't talk about it in that I, way. I, I, oh, well. I miss the days when our problems were Barack Obama saluted someone with a coffee cup in his hand. Yeah. That was our problem. <laughs> or he, so wore, he wore a tan suit on television. Jillian, what do you think of that?
3: Well, and I also think that we're in a different position than we are, were uh, during Obama's administration. We have far more ways to communicate, far more ways to get the word out. And you also see a media that I often sit there and I, I think I think they're out to get the president of the United States. Um, it seems like everything they do is okay. They couldn't do Russia, so then it was on to... Um, uh, um, Mueller, and then it was now it's on to recession, we're going to have a recession, when no. there's no indication that that's actually true, and so there's... Um, and,
1: that, and that's not likely to change, I, I think nope. that you can, you can be objective and you can say that if you watch the network newscasts, this is obviously, if, if you want one slant, you can watch Fox, you want a different slant, you've got a couple of places to go, but if you watch the big three, the original big three networks, there's no question they're all singing from the same mm-hmm. songbook. They will look for every negative story they can find just as by the way just as many of them look for every negative story they could find about hillary clinton in the primary four years ago and just as i think many of them are looking for every negative story they can find about bernie sanders now when we come back i'm going to talk about bernie sanders and elizabeth warren i know you want to talk about that uh, dan and we'll do that 1-800-723 eighty two and the next hour, we're going to talk about the Democrat race for president. We had three people drop out, uh, one of whom no one even knew that he was in. But we're going to talk about it next hour on Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away.
13: Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it.
10: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov.
11: Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power switch mobile phones and devices to power saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov emergency.
8: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
9: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
0: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
10: I'm a veteran. My
9: victory was going from homeless to home.
0: At DAV.
11: we all win. Help
0: us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. From Arlington, Texas to beautiful the Alamo. Nice to have you with us this
1: evening. Uh, let's go back to Daniel Biss, who's our Democrat, card-carrying Democrat, who's with us this evening. I still got uh, my card. You bring your card, yeah. <laughs> we always talk about card-carrying. I don't know card-carrying. We have a card.
4: Uh, I do
1: not have a card. Does anybody have a card? Do you have a card?
5: I got a website. Is that oh, what you Oh, got a website. No, you got to have a card.
1: Uh, Daniel, uh, we were talking in the last segment about uh, uh, incarceration, and we were talking about whether or not the Republican Party should invest some time in trying to reach out to the ex offender community or even the current offender community. And you wanted to make some points about some historic things that the voters of, of Florida did uh, at the last election.
6: Yeah, I think this is really telling. So in the 2018 election, there was a referendum that passed by an overwhelming majority in Florida to allow people who have been involved in the justice system and are no longer incarcerated to vote. Most states let people who used to be incarcerated vote. Florida did not. This referendum passed to allow it. And the Republican legislature and governor have been trying to essentially overturn the will of the public. And to me, that's a really clear sign that today's Republican Party has come to the conclusion that their electoral strategy is keep people who have been involved in the justice system from voting. When you combine that with the aggressive voter suppression that exists across the country, the effort to keep people of color and young people from voting, when you combine that with the incredible, relentless focus on gerrymandering and now the the kind of of all-of-a-sudden bizarre religion of wanting to hold on to the electoral college, What's clear to me is that the Republican Party has figured
1: out they can't win mm. by
6: persuading the majority. They're going to instead try to win by suppressing the will of the majority.
1: We're going to stop here for a second and bring on our newsmaker line, uh, the man we talked about on Hour number 1, Joe Walsh, joins us. Joe, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway
2: my friend Bruce Dumont. it's always an honor to
1: be with you. Well listen you're 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 one of the hot things in politics uh, now because of your appearance on George Stephanopoulos today and uh, uh, by the way you you had you you laid out your litany your, your 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 prosecution of the president rather brilliantly today. I don't think there's a there's a line that you that you missed but speak to something that we discussed in hour number 1 and that is what do you hope to do? What signal do you hope to send to this large number that you allege is out there of Republican office holders? What do you want them to do?
2: Hey Bruce, I want them to come out. Um, see, I believe that most Republicans and independents in this country, privately they know Donald Trump is unfit to be president. They're, they're afraid to say it publicly. Like so many of my former colleagues in Congress, they believe that. They just don't want to say it publicly. We have to say it publicly now because we can't survive another four years of Donald Trump. So that's what I hope to do with this campaign is to encourage them to come out and acknowledge publicly that Donald Trump is unfit.
1: And and how much money do you think you need, Joe, to make this Case against the president that already has a, uh, an, an apparent un, unlimited amount of money to spend on re-election?
2: You know, I need money, not as much as he does with technology today. I need money, but you know what, with getting on TV and social media and spreading this message around, again, I'm trying to light a bunch of wildfires all over the country, Bruce, and I think it's there. You look at how this president has acted just in the past week alone. He's tweeting this country into a recession. That should scare the hell out of every American. And for those
1: Republicans who feel that every time you utter a negative word about the president, you you are you're putting a dagger in his in his heart and that that will lead to a democrat uh, perhaps a socialist democrat uh, to victory next year
2: Look I think Donald Trump is a danger to America. I don't believe he can and should be reelected The Democrats are wrong on policy, but you know what I'd rather fight on policy I'd rather fight bad policy than deal with an egomaniac Narcissist uh, who's a uh, a serial liar who's disloyal to this country Um, who's a real danger to the country. I think that's a bigger threat than the bad ideas of the Democrats.
1: Joe, do you believe that Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, or Joe Biden are a danger to this country?
2: No, I think their ideas are wrong, but I don't think they're a danger to this country. Donald Trump doesn't believe in the rule of law. That's a danger to America.
1: And when you look at those, uh, since you've announced, has there been any one of these members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, that you talked about with George Stephanopoulos today, have any of them given
2: you a call? I've spoken to a few of them privately, but to be honest, Bruce, they're not, they're not, they're not ready to come forward publicly. It's going to take more.
1: Now, when you announced today, uh, does that mean? I assume that means the end of your talk radio career for the time being because of equal time. Is that your understanding that you may have done your last show uh, for
2: your network of stations? I'm done with talk radio, uh, and that makes me sad. But to me, this is a bigger mission. Uh, I've got to do what I can to make sure this guy can't be reelected. And Bruce, by the way, to, to try to help save the Republican Party. Trump has destroyed the Republican Party. Young people, women, and people who live in the sur- suburbs do not want to vote Republican right now.
1: So what, one one last thing. you you well, let's, Eric Cohn is here, and he's a libertarian, but he's... Uh, He's got some questions for you, or a question for
4: you. Hey, Eric. Hi, Joe. So the, the litany of indictments uh, against Trump that you've laid down are things I think could have been very credibly said about Donald Trump when he first announced he was running for president of the United States in 2015. You were a rather vociferous Trump supporter up until uh, a point recently in time. What changed your mind? What changed your mind that said, you know, I can't support this guy anymore? What, what was the moment?
2: And and I apologize for voting for him. I made a mistake, and that's on me. Eric, I realized pretty quickly that two things moved me. I realized after he got elected pretty quickly that every time he opened his mouth, he told a lie. And no matter where you stand politically, if we have a president who lies almost every time he opens his mouth, we can't support that. And then finally at Helsinki in July of 18, he lost me. When he stood in front of the world and said, I stand with Putin and I don't stand with my own intelligence community, that was it for me. That was an act of disloyalty.
1: We got a quick question from Jason Spires. He's here. uh, He's got a question for you.
5: Yes, Mr. Walsh. I'm an Illinois resident. My, My question to you is, I hear you saying a lot of things, but Justin Amash came out, and you said you wanted to start wildfires. Justin Amash actually said that he should be indicted or impeached. Do you support that statement, and would you say what Justin Amash has said? I read the
2: Mueller report, and if you read the Mueller report, there's no doubt that the case for impeachment is there. The President lied. He ordered other people to lie. He obstructed the investigation, period.
1: Those are grounds for impeachment. Joe, we've got to pause. Do you want to continue now, or do you want to do it in a
2: couple of weeks? Um, your call, Bruce. I would do anything for you because we'll, I'm your biggest fan. We'll be right back.
8: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
9: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
8: America's
0: veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
10: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
0: At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned.
9: I'm a veteran and my victory was finishing my education.
0: DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support. For victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation.
5: My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend.
0: We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is
11: being able to be there for my family.
0: When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
4: What do we get like
1: people live in California? Bruce Dumont back. We are coast-to-coast coast and border-to-border border on radio and television at the moment, and uh, we are joined by Joe Walsh, who has just announced that he is challenging Donald Trump in the Republican uh, primary for President of the United States, and uh, uh, he was kind enough to give us a call. We didn't know whether he was going to be able to make it or not, but Joe, we appreciate uh, your, your joining us uh, for the for the program.
2: What I'd it- love to be with you,
1: Bruce. It's a great show what are, what are your next steps what what do you do next you've got this huge splash you had now i assume you're going to be doing what nonstop talk show hosts and uh, not talk show hosts but as a as a as a host but as a guest is that part of your uh, your foundation
2: yeah what i'm going to try to do bruce is get my face and my voice out there as much as possible to tell as many people as possible that donald trump is unfit To be president, that's what I believe. I believe a lot of people believe that. And I'm just going to try to encourage as many people, especially Republicans, to come out and say that. We'll be in New Hampshire and Iowa this week and next week campaigning our rear ends off uh, to to get that message out
1: there. Uh, Daniel Biss, who uh, you may know from his days in Springfield, he's joining us tonight. He's our Democrat. Uh, Go ahead. Hey, Joe. How are you?
6: Hi, Daniel. Um, so here's my question. You know, you you talk about the belief that a whole bunch of Republicans in Congress agree that Donald Trump is unfit to be president, but are basically frightened to come out and say it publicly. Yeah. Well, the thing they're scared of is the Republican primary electorate, the same people you're trying to reach right. out to. And, and the polls seem to show that they're pretty much right about where Republican primary voters are at on Donald Trump. So my question is. Do you think they're missing something? Do you think Republican primary voters right now have a different view than conventional wisdom suggests? And if not, it's 2019. The guy's been president, he's been behaving in this way as president for more than two and a half years. What are you going to do to change their minds?
2: Hey, Daniel, again, good to hear you. Um, Our politics may be different, but I respect everything you do. I I think Trump's support among Republicans is wide, but I think it's soft. A lot of the polling I've seen, even in New Hampshire, 84% of Republicans in New Hampshire support Trump, but 50% of Republicans want a primary challenge. Um, I do believe that they're tired. They're tired of this president's drama every day. They're tired of his insults. They're tired of his cruelty. They're tired of his BS. And oh, by the way, this president right now, it's no longer funny. Like, Trump's no longer funny. He's tweeting the country into a recession right now. I think if Republican voters can be presented with an alternative who, and I'm a conservative, a conservative without all the drama, I I think there might be something there.
1: What do you think of the uh, other candidates? Because you said, you know, there weren't any other candidates. Well, William Weld has been out there for a couple of months. Uh, So he's at least one other option that's out there. Uh, what do you think of him, and uh, why is he not taken off in your view?
2: And, and, and Bill is a good guy, Bruce, but here's the deal. If you don't stand up on your soapbox every day and make this about Trump, the fact that he's unfit, that he lies every time he opens his mouth, that he sides with Russia and not us, if you don't make the moral case against Trump every day, there's no reason to primary him and Bill Weld respectfully isn't making that case. I'm stunned this year that no other Republican came forward to make that case, which is why I came forward today.
1: What about Mark Sanford?
2: He's, again, another good conservative, nice man, but he's talking about running against Trump so that he can start a conversation about the debt and the deficits. Excuse me, I care about the debt and the deficits, But that's no reason to primary Trump. Again, the reason you primary Trump is because he's a bad man. He's a child. He's unfit to be president. If you can't carry that message, there's no way you're going to be Trump in the primary.
1: Jillian Burness is here. She's a Republican. Uh, She's uh, not real wild about your campaign
3: well i'm um, so i uh currently live and am from the district that your congressional district before uh the maps were changed and um it's not that i'm not against uh everyone running for office it's that i'm curious to know the path to victory i know you're really great at uh ginning up a grassroots support you've definitely done it in the congressional district but a lot of those same people who support you are also supporters of Trump, so I'm wondering how, how, how you're gonna get them to support you in this race, and then also how you're gonna get those, because to get on the ballot, you need to get the signatures from all 50 states. Um, how, how you see that happening?
2: Uh, great questions, and we've got very good people working on the ballot access, because the Trump administration has worked with the Republican Party to try to make sure that no, there can be no primary challengers. So we're gonna face that head on. But your other question's really important. So here's the bet I'm making. I believe most Republicans and conservatives deep down, even though they like some of Trump's policies, they are freaking tired of all the drama, of all the tweets and all the insults. What they need to see is, hey, I can get some of these conservative policies without all these BS, without all the daily tweets. If I can make that case, we can be successful. If I can't, then I I won't be successful.
1: Uh, Joe, uh, a lot of your critics are saying uh, this is an ego trip for you, a big ego trip, that your radio career is not going as famously and fabulously as you would like it to go and that this is an opportunity for you to get out there, say what you want to say, get all kinds of media coverage, uh, and maybe parlay this into a much bigger deal, either a radio or TV deal down the road, and the way you do that is you attack the President of the United States because the mainstream media will love you because they like anyone who's a turncoat. Response. Hey, look,
2: I do what I believe, and I say what I believe. The easiest thing for me to do is to just line up with everybody else in conservative media and sing this president's praises if i did that i'd still have a radio show i'd have great ratings and every republican would love me i truly believe that this president is a danger to the country he has no respect for the rule of law he believes he's a dictator this will be the most difficult thing i've ever done because Trump and his people are going to come after me and pound me every day. Uh, believe me, I'm not doing this because it's going to be fun. I'm doing it because I think it's the right thing to do. Do you have
1: any major financial supporter that's given you a little jump start in this campaign?
2: Yes. And by the way, we announced this morning, in the first day, we've raised a bunch of money. So I'm excited.
1: Can you name who your
2: main benefactor is? I won't, uh, a bun- but a bunch of people from all over the country. I think we'll do pretty well when it comes to money, at least enough to get our message out.
1: How much have you raised thus far in this w- one day that you've, you've been out there?
2: I don't know that yet, but I believe in the first, what, 12 some hours, we've raised over $100,000. That you- may be nothing, but we're, we're starting.
1: Will you? Will your headquarters be in Illinois or elsewhere? don't know yet would you be open to a debate with anyone else on any of the major networks always what is the one issue that other than the one of unfitness and and incompetence and and uh, and, and and dishonesty that you've articulated tonight what is the one issue in this campaign that you want to uh, lay out a plan for that republicans can really look at and compare you with Donald Trump?
2: The issue that got me elected in 2010, I went to Congress in 2010 because I was pissed off at both political parties that were bankrupting future generations. Donald Trump told us that he would eliminate the debt in eight years. He's increased the debt more than Barack Obama, and he's skyrocketed the deficits. He lied about that. That's
1: what we need to do something about. Uh, We have one more question here in Chicago, then we've got to move on. Go ahead. Uh,
5: Jason. Uh, Hi, it's Jason Spires. I heard all your thoughts about Trump not being fit, so my question for you is you came in as part of the Tea Party in 2010, you said you're irritated with both parties. So if you don't happen to unseat Trump, and it comes down to a general election, And let's say Justin Amash declares Libertarian presidential candidate. Are you voting for Justin Amash or the LP over the Democrat? Are you leaving it blank? Or are you going to vote for Trump? I'll tell you two things.
2: There's no way I can ever or will ever vote for Donald Trump again. If you give me a candidate like Justin Amash, a Libertarian, a limited government guy in the general, then I would vote for that.
1: Is supporting Donald Trump in the past the biggest political mistake you've ever made?
2: No. The biggest political mistake I've ever made, uh, Bruce, is also the biggest moral mistake I've ever made, and it helped lead to Trump. Look, I believe, in a way, I helped create Donald Trump because I went to Washington eight, nine years ago to fight about all these things, and oftentimes I got personal and ugly and hateful in my fight. I said things about Barack Obama that I will regret for the rest of my life. I think that ugly personal politics helped lead to Trump because that's all Trump does. That's the biggest mistake I made was to engage in ugly personal politics and I will never do that again.
1: Okay, so that's your pledge in the primary. You're going to be, be rough, but uh, you're going to pull your punch a little bit. Yes, sir. Okay. Joe Walsh, thank you very much for joining us on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, keep us posted on your campaign. We'll be talking about you here every Sunday night for a while. Joe Walsh, former Illinois congressman, uh, former now a former talk show host, syndicated talk show host, who has announced that he's taking on Donald Trump for the Republican nomination for President of the United States. Joe, thanks very much. Back shortly.
11: Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency.
1: Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we've got a great panel of guests. Uh, uh, Daniel Biss is here, former uh, Illinois State Senator, and he is a, a Democrat, a very proud uh, Democrat. And uh, we also have uh, Jillian Burnus, and Jillian is a Republican, and Eric Cohen is also here. He is a libertarian on our independent uh, is also with us. Thank you very much. Jason Spires joins us. Uh, I want to, before we uh, take more calls, by the way, 1-800-723-8289. 80289 you have heard from Joe Walsh. Uh, what's your opinion of Joe Walsh? This this might be the first time you've ever heard him on the radio. Uh, of course, a lot of people listening on WYND in Chicago or on WCGO in Chicago have heard him many times. Maybe you want to uh, call in as well. Uh, by the way, let me also mention that our website is beyondthebeltway.com. Uh, I'm sorry, beyond the beltway 2019. Beyond the beltway 2019. If you're listening to this broadcast on WAIND AM 560 in Chicago, you are hearing this broadcast on tape delay. So some of you may be throwing things at the radio thinking, "Oh, I want to call because you can't call cuz we're on delay." But if you will send me your email responses I will at least get them. And again, you can either send a, a tweet at Dumo at D-U-M-O or Beyond the Beltway 2019 at uh, gmail.com. My question to you: We're going to come back to Daniel Biss, and we're going to come back to the uh, we're going to, the pendulum of Beyond the Beltway swings back to the Democratic side. You are here uh, because you uh, you've looked over the Democrats who are running, mm-hmm. and you have chosen Elizabeth Warren. You think she's the best of the lot. Yes. Why?
6: So it's interesting to in light of the conversation we just had with Joe Walsh, which was fundamentally about his case that Donald Trump is not fit to be president. You know, as a Democrat, we all believe that. And so I think the fundamental question in the Democratic primary for president is, hey, is the only problem out there that Donald Trump, our president, is unfit for the office? or was there a collection of conditions that had gone wrong in this country over the course of years or decades or generations that created an electorate willing to vote for Donald Trump who's unfit, and I believe that it's that second case. I believe that we have a brokenness in our economy. We have more and more money and power in the hands of fewer and fewer people. Ordinary working families are finding it harder and harder to get by, and I don't just want a Democratic president who's not Donald Trump. I want a Democratic president who understands deeply what got us here, has progressive, bold plans to actually transform our system and has an understanding of what it takes to make government work to enact those plans. And to me, Elizabeth Warren is head and shoulders above the alternative. you have interest. to be courageous? You much you must be courageous because there are a tremendous number of people who benefit from the status quo. It's not half the country. It's not the majority of the country. It might only be one or two percent of the country, but it's people who benefit from the status quo and have money and power and need a president who is prepared to stand up to those people.
1: What do you say to those opponents of Elizabeth Warren and those in the media, many of them in the media, Mm -hmm. say that she's too left. There's no way that that America has already proven, don't send us a liberal democrat from Massachusetts. We've Mm -hmm. tried it and tried it and tried it. It doesn't work, with the exception, obviously, of John Kennedy in 1960. We've been down that road before. Why why choose another liberal democrat from Massachusetts who you think is going to play in the heartland?
6: Well, I'll start by saying that I think every single one of us should have some humility when we engage in that type of punditry. And Nowadays, who really knows who's electable? But here's why I think Elizabeth Warren is the right person to take on Donald Trump. Let's look back at that 2016 election. What was the case that Donald Trump made against Hillary Clinton? Too much of an insider, too tight with Wall Street, too close to the very economic forces that have been pushing down ordinary working families in America. What better person to run against that message than someone who's made a career of fighting for middle-class families, who's taken on Wall Street again and again and won, who cannot possibly be tied to the kind of corrupt establishment that Donald Trump wants to run against? By the way, if you look at Elizabeth Warren's election results in Massachusetts, the parts of Massachusetts where she's done well are not the liberal suburbs of Boston that you might have in mind. But she's done incredibly well compared to other Democrats in rural, less affluent, central and western Massachusetts, which is not so different from the kind of voter we've got to win over in places like Pennsylvania.
1: Why are you for her as opposed to Bernie Sanders? Look, I agree with Bernie Sanders on a lot of policy
6: issues, and I think there's a lot of good people running in this race beyond those two as well. But I think she stands out in the depth of her understanding of what went wrong. It's not just about being for someone who's progressive. And of course, Bernie Sanders is, and I appreciate that about him. It's someone who has spent her life studying bankruptcy law, understanding what Wall Street is doing, creating the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, one of the very few instances since FDR was president that an American, the federal government in America has brought Wall Street to its knees. She has an understanding of what it takes to win these fights that I think is unparalleled. And by the way, I think she has the capacity to unite the Democratic Party and produce the kind of landslide victory in November that we're going to
1: need to have the kind of majorities in Congress that we're going to require to pass these policies. But some would say that in 2016, Mm -hmm. she might have been able to have the nomination if she fought for it.
10: Mm
14: -hmm.
1: And really, uh, she folded her tent. She was not courageous. She took a pass. And she let Bernie Sanders, her friend from... You know, up up north in Vermont, mm-hmm. she let him go out and go all over the country and basically help define the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. and uh, that you know he paid his dues when she was sitting on the sidelines and was courageous, and now it's four years later and Bernie's coming back again, and uh, she says, "Okay, it's my turn now." When a lot of people might think that it's Bernie's turn.
6: Well, I don't think she's saying it's her turn. I don't think she should say it's her turn. I don't don't think anyone should ever say it's anyone's turn under any circumstances. On the contrary, I think we ought to pick the best person for the job. And I think there's a lot of Democrats But wasn't
1: Elizabeth Warren the best person in 2016 for you in reality? If she had run
6: against Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in 2016, I would have enthusiastically voted for her. That's right. But... I have no idea what her thought process was, and I don't think anybody owes it to the country to run for office if they don't feel like they're in a position where they are ready for that job. But now she has come to the conclusion that she is, and I think she's the best person running. I think everyone. Jillian,
1: of all the Democrats that are out there, who worries you the most and could beat Donald Trump?
3: I don't think I'm worried about any of them, actually. I look at Elizabeth Warren's economic plan, and she talks about staggering wages and um, a a lack of growth of the economy, uh, growth in inequality. And those are all things that Trump is already addressing. And then she goes on to talk about corporations sending jobs uh, to other countries. But at the same uh, beat, she wants to uh, do a nationwide $15 an hour minimum wage. That's not compatible. You can't have a corporation uh, tell them they have to do something, as um, Trump is being accused of telling a corporation they have to do something, and then expecting them to not do the behavior that you're trying to prevent them from doing. Um, So I, I think that there's... A lot of contradictions and that economic plan—that's concerning to me. She wants to break um, up.
1: She wants to break up uh, Google and and Facebook. Is yes. that a good idea, Eric? Where 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 do the libertarians come down on some of the left of center policies of the Democrats?
4: What I think is interesting is that she's going to find some common cause there with some people on the right right now with Josh Hawley, who also has similar plans, particularly for Facebook and social media, right. and Tucker Carlson, who has uh, spoken rather positively of her. On his Fox News programs, perhaps we could get a a bipartisan ticket of Warren and Tucker Carlson sometime in the future. Uh, It would drive all kinds of different people all over the place, kind of crazy. Uh, But I'm not a fan of the kind of social media breakup plans that a lot of people have. I don't think it's particularly necessary. But I have a question for Daniel Mm -hmm. about uh, kind of her path forward. If you accept this idea, and maybe you reject it, Mm -hmm. that there are lanes within the Democratic Mm -hmm. primary field. You even compared her in, in some ways to Bernie Sanders. Do you think she has a path forward to victory? With you see where Biden is at right now, Mm -hmm. um, where he's polling, and uh, you have Warren and Bernie kind of equal Mm -hmm. in terms of the vote share they're getting. If they're both in, do you think they're splitting a constituency that if there was only one of them, they could consolidate? Well, according to the polls,
6: this stuff is incredibly
4: complicated
6: and it's sometimes surprising. If you survey a whole bunch of one candidate supporters, you get surprising answers about who their second choices are. But I do think there's a sense that a lot of people like me who are in the progressive wing of the party would rather see a progressive than Joe Biden. And perhaps right now, if Warren and Sanders are, uh, you know, splitting that vote, then one of them will rise and and that person will be likelier then to kind of be the one to go up against Biden, let's say, when the moment comes. Again, I don't put too much stock in my ability or with all due respect anyone else's ability to engage in that kind of punditry but what i think is pretty clear is she's running a great campaign she's been on a steady upswing not a not a boom not a all of a sudden she gets a flash of attention and then falls apart again but i think she's been growing and growing and growing and growing because she's running a campaign that people are enjoying being a part of and feeling themselves attracted to
1: and the does the age of the candidate bother you Jason that one that you know you have the th- the three top uh, people at the Democrat, they're all you know they're seventy six and seventy seven, and I think Elizabeth Warren is sixty nine or she'll be seventy soon.
5: From a political standpoint, I don't think it's smart because when you got someone who's seventy seven running, he'll be seventy eight when he gets into office. Yeah. He'd be eighty two if he tried to go for a second term, yeah. and it would just bother me because if you really want to get the nation going in that direction, you should get someone to keep it going in that direction for years. Well, eight they would years. try to
1: choose a, a running mate, which I would assume is Pete Buttigieg is what he's thinking about.
7: Yeah. Right.
4: I think this is interesting, too. That it's a, it kind of the last gasp for the uh, boomer generation in yeah. terms of their presidential aspirations. Yeah. Um, we may see finally a kind of great torch passing after this presidential election that some of us may well be yearning for. Yeah. Uh,
1: when we come back, I'm going to ask the question now, but uh, not enough time to answer, but I'm going to come back and I'll let you uh, tackle it, uh, Dan. And that is... Uh, uh of the top three of of biden and warren and and bernie sanders the only one that has a substantial uh support in the black community is joe biden i want to find out what it is about elizabeth warren or her policies uh and the same thing can be said for bernie sanders that has not resonated in the african-american community and if you're not resonating in the african-american community you're going to have a very difficult time to win the Democratic nomination. That's the question, the answer from Dan when we come back.
13: Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it.
10: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov.
7: Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense.
14: Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves
7: and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger.
14: For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders. For you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP.
7: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
1: Ah, from the beautiful fields of Goodland, Kansas, I'm Bruce Dumont, thanks very much for joining us from coast to coast and border to border every Sunday night. Jillian, I want to ask you a question. when in the very first d- debate with the democrats when they all raised their hand about free health care or not health not free health care mm-hmm. health care for illegal immigrants and all those hands went up did a smile come across your face and say you know what that's the only picture i need to run it, for Don- it, support it donald trump
3: it didn't during the actual debate. So i was watching the debate and no. i did see that particular point i thought it was more poignant when i saw it i think it was the new york post i want to say where yes. they had that picture and then it right. said the first step to losing to trump or something yeah. some, i'm paraphrasing or trying to talk uh to say what I, th- I think it said but i was just like oh wow that's that's not good especially when it's coming out in that way
1: daniel biss you're a you're a democrat yes can you do you agree with my the premise of my question that that picture is is worth more than a thousand words that that that's going to be a tough picture for any democrat standing on that stage to defend in a campaign against donald trump
6: look i think that health care is an issue where how you frame the question matters a lot and so you can find polls that say that most americans don't think that someone without documentation ought to have access to free health care i understand the point you're making at the same time if you make the case that healthcare care is a human right that it does not make sense it is not moral it is not just it is not economically rational to have people without access to real health insurance who nonetheless find themselves in the emergency room that's an
1: argument you can win
6: and there is no doubt really you really, there, you really
1: believe that that could be an argument could be won? yeah I think in a, in a campaign in this day and age you think that's with, with 62 million people already having voted I, at least what they wanted Donald Trump to do. I absolutely You do. think those 62 million people, their minds can be changed on that issue?
6: I don't know how many people's minds can be changed. I also remember that 65 million people voted against Donald Trump. That's right. His approval rating is in the very low 40s at the best right now. But, but let me just say this again. There's a lot of different ways to ask the health care question, and there's no doubt that the campaigns in the general election are going to be fighting over what terrain we're talking about healthcare, and there may be some particular terrains that are less advantageous to Democrats, guess what, if I'm a Democrat and it's October of 2020 and we're talking about healthcare a lot, I am happy. Because Donald Trump is doing everything he can to take health care away from millions of Americans, and people know it, that's why Democrats did so well in 2018, and uh, listen, He'll say what he wants to say that's a fight we can win
4: is that a devastating picture eric from a political standpoint as somebody who is very much in favor of a more liberalized immigration system many of the sentiments that i know exist out there um, aren't ones that make me incredibly happy so i i i tend to agree with the idea that it is not going to be something that's helpful for whoever the democrat nominee is in the future because it will be utilized by donald trump that kind of pugilistic style that he has, um, but to to the point about uh, healthcare and the way you asked the question, there's also the matter of where the economic rubber hits the road on all of that. And for companies that or countries that we have uh, that have been discussed who have single payer healthcare systems are also countries with very large middle class tax burdens that need to be paid by uh, the people in those countries. And that's another one where it's going to be an opportunity for Donald Trump to run around saying they want to raise your taxes, especially for you those of you in the middle class. I can't imagine that being that popular.
1: Jillian, do you believe that owners of of plants uh, or businesses that routinely hire illegal immigrants, should those owners of those organizations, should they go to prison?
3: Um, So I think that there needs to be a look at that system. I know that there's been E-Verify and there are uh, plant owners or owners of manufacturing companies that participate in the E-Verify system, and they look at documentation that a worker provides them, and they're not able to say this is a correct piece of documentation or this is an incorrect piece of documentation. They are just provided a piece of documentation, and they are saying, well, this is uh, valid to work in the United States of America, and that's what E-Verify is. So if someone brings you a, a document that is forged, is not yours, is incorrect, there's no way does of an, them. Does an employer have any
1: responsibility me. to check the veracity of their employees?
3: I think they should. As to the best of their ability, they should definitely you check into with their that, background.
5: Jason? Yes, I believe an employer definitely has the responsibility. I believe the employer definitely has the responsibility to comply with the law. And if you're asking me if it's moral that we have a law that's that way, Yes, we have the right to know who's inside of our country. I'm not saying we shouldn't legalize immigration, but employers have a responsibility to follow the
6: law. Should the
1: owners go to prison, Daniel?
6: Look, I think our our immigration system is completely broken, and clearly businesses in America are taking advantage of it, and it's wrong. So the whole thing needs to be overhauled dramatically. If you're asking me in the confines of the current system what exactly the penalty should be, I think the penalty should be real and meaningful and severe. But more importantly, you've got to just
1: overhaul the system so there's actual justice embedded into it. And one other thing that Bernie Sanders said uh, in one of the debates, he said that he thinks those that are currently serving time in prisons... Should be allowed to vote. Do you agree with that?
6: I do. I, I think it's uh, it's one of these things that I actually think is really unpopular, and it's a good thing I'm not running for president because that's no. a tough case to make to the, to the electorate. But I think it's not only my belief; I think it's kind of obvious. And on what universe do you relinquish your citizenship rights yeah. for being well, incarcerated? And if you don't relinquish your citizenship rights, why shouldn't you be able to vote?
1: One argument should you be that, able to vote? Do you think? Y- yes,
5: definitely. One argument.
6: When that, you're in
1: prison.
5: Yes. If you're why? ever going to get out. And you're going to ever have to pay a tax, yeah. and you are not allowed to vote. If that tax is going to impact your life, that's taxation without representation.
1: So therefore, you should be able but to vote. But you have violated the laws, which sent you in the. Don't you think that that's I one things you should the give up? I violated the selling
5: cannabis. I'm out and I'm voting right now. If a tax affects yeah. me, it's no different. What if I'm in But in you're out street? now. What you're if on, I'm in car? I'm not, I'm, I'm not
1: saying that once you... I believe that once you have so, done your time, let me cut you in here should me be, part, be able to vote. I, I hear what you're saying. How about getting? How about
6: while you're incarcerated and getting to vote for the person who's going to appoint people to the prisoner review board, right? You you still have contact with the government, and if you're not represented, that's a real injustice.
1: So one of the rights you lose I, when you violate the law. Anyway, well, sure. our I thank Jason. We're out of time. Yep. Thank you very Senator Biss, and Jillian and thank Eric. You. We thank you very much for joining our program this evening. Our thanks to uh, Fritz Goldman and also to Andrew and to uh, Britta and to Hector for their assistance in the production of the show. Until next week, I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.
13: Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it.
10: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do
14: online at socialsecurity.gov.
7: Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense.
14: Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves
7: and helping each other. With friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger.
14: For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders. For you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP.
7: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
11: Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency.
8: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
9: I'm Sam, I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
0: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
10: I'm a veteran, my victory was going
9: from homeless to home.
0: At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned.
9: I'm a veteran and my victory was finishing my education.
0: DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation.
5: My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend. We
0: help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges.
11: My victory is being able to be there for my family.
0: When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.